following the leading of the Spirit and sowing to the Spirit. Now, that's the way to go. If you don't, you'll suffer the consequences. That comes to our attention through a study in 1 Kings, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. It's time once again for Abounding Grace, a ministry of Calvary Church, Colorado, with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll be in 1 Kings 14 today. At this point in time, the nation is divided and not in a good place. We'll be introduced to two kings, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Both had their problems, and it could be traced back to their idolatry and turning their backs on God. It can easily happen to us, so let's see where things went wrong. And so it was, verse 6, when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. (laughs) The disguise did not work. But you know what I see here? He believed the word of the Lord. Come in, wife of Jeroboam. If you like to write in your Bibles there, you can write the word busted. (laughs) Because even if it doesn't happen, even if it doesn't happen, Even if God didn't speak to Ahijah, even if Ahijah didn't say, come in, wife of Jeroboam, guess what? She was busted all along. God knew. This is no surprise to God. We we don't get anything over on God in our lives. We can't hide anything. And so here, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, verse 7, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to do only what was right in his eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free, and I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it's all gone. The disguise does absolutely nothing. The blind prophet could see right through it and was given a word from the Lord. Jeroboam, you're a horrible leader. You haven't acknowledged me in your life. And the worst of the worst, verse 9, you've done more evil than all who were before you. What a testimony. Leading his people into idolatry. And because of that, your family will suffer, verse 11. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. For the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house 
of Jeroboam, verse 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What even now? For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they've made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. What a strong word. What a hard word to deliver. But he was faithful. He obeyed. Verse 17. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him. And all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam how he made war and how he reigned. Indeed, they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. So she was sent back with a difficult word. And on top of the horrific tragedy, the rest of the family will die as well. It would only be a couple of years before the fullness of the prophecy would be completed. A man by the name of Baasha not only, did not only kill Nadab, but also the entire house of Jeroboam. But this prophecy goes beyond the current situation. It goes beyond into the future of Israel, speaking into the future. Things would go from bad to worse for them. It will get so bad that God will finally remove them from the land by scattering them by the Assyrians. That spiritual law that we just can't get out from under Believer and unbeliever alike. Let me show it to you. I've quoted it often. Let me show it in your Bible. Would you go to Galatians chapter 6? There is that spiritual law that none of us, this is going to be a recurring theme throughout the, throughout the book of Kings and Chronicles, where we watch this happening over and over again. Now, gloriously, by faith in Jesus Christ, he took the death penalty for you and for me. He took the death penalty for you and for me, and yet there are still consequences from our decisions. And even then, God is gracious. I think back to all the things that could have easily happened to me, all the times that I rebelled against God, all of the times both believer, which as unbeliever, really, really bad, and believer, just as bad, that they may not be uh, as dramatic as when I was an unbeliever, but sin against God is sin. And I, I see how gracious God and how patient God and how loving God has been with me and, and at times has been so gracious that I haven't felt the full weight of consequences. And yet, there have also been times when God has allowed the full weight of consequences to be felt by me because of my sin. It's a spiritual law. It's this law of sowing and reaping. You guys all believe in gravity? Does, do we all believe in gravity? I don't, I'm not going to ask you to test it if you don't. Well, I don't believe in gravity. And I go, oh, we're going to jump off a bridge. I'm not going to tell you to do that. Don't do that. But you could jump up, you know, if you don't believe in gravity, just get up right now and jump and see how, how long you float and let me know how it goes. Gravity is real. It can be tested. It can be proven. It can be observed. It's being felt right now. Well, just as real as the physical law of gravity is, the spiritual law of sowing and reaping is just as real. 
I announced this last weekend that one of the things that we do as a church is we go as, uh, as a church and we go pick corn. Some of you heard that announcement. We pick corn. And all the, there's a brother in the church that they, they grow a big field of corn. They donate the field. They donate the corn. And then when it goes in to be picked, put it in these big bags, and it gets donated to the food bank of the Rockies. And we do that every year. And it's a fun family thing that you get to be involved in if you'd like. And the farmer that planted the corn believes very firmly. I don't know him, and I've never spoken to him, but I'm pretty sure 99.9% I can vouch for the guy. He believes in this spiritual law of sowing and reaping because he's learned it from the physical. So that when you go out and pick corn, you can look backwards and understand the reason you're picking corn, the consequence of picking corn and these stalks of corn has come because he planted what? Corn. And you guys are looking at me like, come on, dude. Seriously. Yes, I'm serious. I want you, even if you think it's a silly illustration, I want you to, to be in your head. You can just think, oh, Ed is just silly and goofy all the time, and he's just telling us stuff that we already know. Yeah, I want you to go out thinking that. Corn, of course, you plant corn. I can't believe what kind of pastor he is. Plant corn, get corn. Of course. I don't know if you talk like that, but maybe you feel like that. Fine. <laughs> Fine, maybe on the radio. I can't believe it. Who's, who lets this guy on the radio talk about corn? Of course you're about corn. Of course, yes. I want you to be that convinced because this is true too. Galatians chapter 6. I want you to feel the same way. Galatians chapter 6. Pick up in verse 6. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, you read the rest. You ready? That... For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, and he who sows to the Spirit of the Spirit will reap everlasting life. They're both true. They're both true. Sowing to the Spirit, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. It may take some time. It takes time for a crop to, to grow. It may take some, get rid of some of the pests. You may get the need to toil or, or you know, get the soil all ready and till the ground. It may take time, but you can be sure that the one that sows to the Spirit is going to reap everlasting life. The one that sows to the Spirit with their life, with their actions, with their thoughts, with their mind, with their love, with their possessions, just constantly sowing in the spiritual realm, being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, you can be promised by the Word of God, as much as that corn farming guy planted corn and expected corn, you can expect that God will keep His Word when you sow to the Spirit. And we're all warned that if we choose to reap uh, if we choose to sow to our flesh, the things of our flesh. You can read later a few of those things in chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, but it's much more than that. If we choose to be disobedient toward the things of God, you can, you can be warned, and certainly we don't really expect it, but I put that into your heart tonight that you would expect that you will reap corruption. Sin corrupts, so much so that Paul the Apostle would describe it to the church, the believers in Rome. He would tell the Romans that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's only two outcomes, everlasting life or corruption. And it's a sobering passage because we have to be serious about every thought, 
We have to be serious about every action, every word that brings both blessing or cursing. And when it comes to our relationship with God the Father, we just can't decide to, to tear pages out of the Bible. We can't just decide that we're going to create a religion on our own terms, but rather to follow the leading of the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit. And, and what does he say in verse 9? As you're sowing to the Spirit, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. It's just a word for the Lord for some of you. You're, you're right there. You're right at the edge. You're ready to reap. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. You're right there at the edge. Move, keep moving forward. God has promised a harvest. So just keep moving forward. Obedient. As Elizabeth Elliot teaches, do the next thing. Do the next thing. Let the Lord encourage you and do the next thing and stay faithful. Stay faithful. And then he says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And it really speaks to the, the, the beautiful privilege that we have to really minister to the body of Christ, to minister to one another, to, to serve. We have missionaries here to pray for them, to serve them, to encourage them, to start with the body of Christ because it's good, the household of faith, it's good practice for serving a lost and dying world. It's not exclusive. You don't want to become some little social club here where all we care about is one another and all we do is have little holy huddles and we hide in here and take care of one another and just, no, it starts. It's just the start. God has been so good to us. How can we not be so good to one another? Then... Then it leaches out. Then it's the overflow. But, you know, here's the thing. We started with this idea of division and, and how the, 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 the nation is divided. You know, in division, in division, we're just not sure what to do and where to go and who decide. And before you know it, you're not doing good to anybody anymore. Come back with me in 1 Kings as we wind up with the rest of the chapter. It's just a great danger for us to keep all that God has given to us to ourselves. Do good to the household of faith. So do the Spirit. Perhaps the Lord has allowed you to suffer the consequences right now of your sin and sowing to the flesh. But know that God allows that in your life, believer. He allows that in your life to chasten you or to discipline you because you're his kid. If you weren't disciplined, then the Bible says you're not his kid. Now, you wonder, wait a minute, is this true for even people? I don't follow God right now, and I don't care about God. Is it true for me? It's true for you. It's just as like gravity's true for those that follow Jesus, and gravity's true for those that don't. So is this spiritual law. It's true for you too. So why? Why would I suffer the consequences? What's the big deal? If becoming a believer doesn't get me outside of the consequences, then what's the big deal? Why should I, why should I follow God? If I'm just going to do, if I'm going to suffer like everyone else, <laughs> let, me, let me answer that question for you because I'm glad you asked it. First of all, first of all, you experience the consequences of your actions because they're the consequences of your actions. And God uses them in your life to reveal to you the utter emptiness that life is apart from him. You see, when we're disciplined by our dad, we know because our dad loves us. He cares for us. We have that sense. 
We know that our Father in heaven is training us and teaching us, and we're becoming different, and we're becoming more Christ-like, and, and there's a purpose and a plan in what God is working out in our lives. And so as painful as it is, we embrace, we embrace the chastening of our Father. We don't like it. Even in the Bible, it says, hey, nobody likes it when they're chastened. I agree. I never had one of my kids say, thank you, may I have another? Never. Never. They were always pleading for mercy, and I don't blame them. And many times we gave them mercy, as God does with us. So number one, the consequences are there because, man, because there are consequences. And number two, God is using him in your life to reveal himself to you. Because isn't it true, at times in your life, you've been suffering the, the consequences of your sin. Like I think of people that get caught by the police. They become immediately perfect people. I'll never do it again. Oh, if you just let me go, please, officer, forever. And God, if you ever get me out of here, I will. And you're listening in jail right now, and you've said that. When God gets you out, serve him completely. Never get in trouble again. Only time you go back to prison, go back as a prison ministry. Because I don't, I don't begrudge you for saying that, but you're saying it because of the consequence. You weren't saying it when you were in sin, but now that you got caught, man, God, I'll give you myself. I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Keep your word. Thirdly, I think that God allows unbelievers to suffer the consequences and to feel the weight of consequences to reveal himself to you because he loves you. Jesus Christ, he suffered the consequence for sin, and yet he was innocent. And we look at a, an innocent man hanging on the cross and our heart breaks. We say, how is that possible? Why is he dying? Why is he on the cross? I deserve what he did, and yet he's paying the price for me. Why? Because God wants to open your eyes to what true love looks like. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love to us, that while we were yet sinners, which is all of us, Christ died for the ungodly. How would you ever know that you're ungodly unless you suffered the consequences of your sin? That's really the issue. You don't like the word sin? That's okay. We'll call it mistakes. You don't like the word mistakes? That's fine. We'll call it breaking the law. We'll call it mishaps. We'll call it whatever it is that reveals to you. See, God calls it sin. So you can call it whatever you want. And that's fine, because I'll work with you all the way. We'll start with mishaps, and we'll start with mistakes, and then we'll start with, and then we're going to end up at sin. Because that's what God calls it. And it's okay. If you want to start here, I'll walk with you. You can look at your life and you go, man, I'm not a perfect person. As, as this last Sunday after I went home, you know, I was just thinking on the way home from, uh, from services that all three services, I called everybody listening. I called us all liars. That's a pretty heavy thing for a pastor to do. But it's the truth. We've all lied. And even as believers, if you weren't here and you go, Ed, you didn't call me a liar, listen to the message. <laughs> I think I made a compelling case for the fact that even as believers, we can be dishonest, shading the truth. Now, of course, we don't like to be called liars, but that's only because it's hard to see ourselves in the mirror. And it's hard to admit any weakness in our lives. 
And for those of you that are apart from Jesus Christ right now, it's really hard for you. I might have, even as what I just shared right now, I got a few laughs from those that know me, but you don't know me. I might have aroused in you some anger and some frustration. How can you say that? And who do you think you are? And Mr. Pastor up there, and you think you're perfect. No, no, no. Mm -mm. I just know this. Whatever biblical means necessary to get your attention toward God, I'm willing to do. I'm not really concerned about what you think about me, but I'm very concerned about what you think about the God that loves you and cares for you. And I just know this. If somebody loves me, they're going to tell me the truth. If somebody doesn't love me, they're going to lie to me. They're going to do stuff behind my back. They're going to do all kinds of things to try to hurt and to harm me. Somebody telling me the truth in love is not trying to hurt or harm me. They're trying to help me. So today, you have a chance, an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ, an opportunity to examine in your mind, you know, even with using your imagination of what it must have been like to stand at the cross and see a brutally beaten man die a torturous death for you and for me, to see what it is to recognize that when, as we come back to First Kings now, as we, as we find ourselves in a place of all these failures and, and what God has allowed in their lives and the consequences of his sin and how a man loses his whole family and on and on, why? Because of sin, that it's God's heart for you not to live this way. And so notice in verse 21, he says, And Rehoboam, we're turning now to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, he reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah an Ammonitess. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed, more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. There was sexual sin. They had all kinds of abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And it happened, verse 25, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And so it was, whenever the king went into the house of the Lord, that the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard chamber. And the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus, and Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Now I've got another 15 minutes of commentary on this that is going to wait till next time. So you'll just have to tune in next time and show up next time because I don't want to go through it really quick. But enough to say this. Jeroboam had problems. Rehoboam had problems. And the major issue, the crux of their problems is they turned their back on God. They turned their back on God and became idolaters. And may the Lord protect us from turning our backs on Him. 
Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and a message from Pastor Ed Taylor called Following God's Loving Lead. To hear it again, visit calvaryaurora.org and search for 1 Kings 14. We'd like to suggest adding a couple of apps to your mobile devices. Look for the Calvary Aurora app and Grace FM Colorado app available on all platforms. They're free and a great way to fill up on the teaching of the Word wherever you may be. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners. Each gift that comes in serves to help us pay for radio time. And think of this. You'll be helping thousands all over the world learn about God's amazing grace and how to grow by it. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'd like to say thanks by sending you a useful resource. It's a book by Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn called Jesus Revolution. Some of you were alive to remember how God got a hold of an unlikely group of men and women in the 60s and 70s. You'll read the amazing story of the Jesus Movement, an amazing time of mass revival, renewal, and reconciliation. Can God do it again? You bet. Call us right now so we can drop this in the mail to you. We're at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Then join us next time when we'll pick up where we left off in 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 